Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, today we are in our uh, fourth uh, part of our Christmas series, the penultimate um, uh, part of our uh, Christmas teaching, and we've been looking at this idea of choosing Christmas because we know that, especially here in the U.S. and in Texas, man, Christmas just comes at us. Um, it's not something we have to plan for. It's not something we have to make happen. It's not something that we can go, oh, my goodness, you know, look up on, you know, December 28th and go, did Christmas happen? And somehow I missed that. Um, no, it's nobody escapes it. If you leave your home and turn on a device at all, Christmas shows up. In fact, some of you um, are ready to just somehow delete Mariah Carey from everything. You're just like, just, just delete all Mariah Carey. Um, and so, you know, somebody online pointed out how that song is really a burn because she says, I don't want much for Christmas. I want you. That's, that's a little hurtful. And so, and, uh, but, um, you know, it just happens. It just comes at us. Christmas just comes at us. And for you and I, even if our culture didn't care, if it was not a time when everything shut down and the schools took a break and if, it, if our culture didn't care, you and I, as children of God, we should be caring. We should be turning our attention at some point in the year towards the, the truth that Jesus was born, that Jesus came. And so with that, you and I can't just be caught up into the flow and say, you know what, Christmas is going to happen. We'll just kind of figure it out as we go. You and I should be intentionally choosing Christmas, choosing to focus on it, choosing to embrace what it really is and what it is really about. Um, and so because there is this place where context, and we're going to talk about that quite a bit today, context matters. And context is the filter that we see so many different things through. And right now for us in North America, um, our Christmas has a real North Pole pull. And the truth is, is I don't have a big problem with that, okay? I, I'm not here to, you know, you know, get on to Santa and the reindeer and any of that stuff. We just need to understand um, that Santa and reindeer have nothing to do with the nativity. Um, they don't have anything to do with that. I'd have no beef if that you have that in part of your celebration. I don't have any of that, but let's understand that when we dial this back, the real context is that there was a hurting world disconnected and God instigated the change. God did something about it and he did it himself. And so as we look at this, if you've got your Bible app, if you're going to track along with us, however you're going to track, we've let off with this idea that the first Christmas teaches us that we can trust God in every season. 
in every season, which we understand, you know, there are different kinds of seasons, you know. Um, you know, being, you know, being a kid is, you know, that's a season of life. Being, you know, a teen, that's a season of life. And, you know, then being like a college student, young adult, another season, you know, and then you're, you know, the, the adult years and then your senior years and there's all of those. And as soon as I was saying those things, different contexts were popping into your mind. As I talked about elementary, there were different things that popped into your mind, maybe some recess, maybe some number two pencils, maybe some lunch boxes and some of those types of things. As you know, I talked about being a teenager, maybe, you know, it was awkward dances and pimple cream and <laughs> cracking voices and shyness and all this kind of stuff. Maybe it was dominating and, you know, sports when you were in the ninth grade, you know, maybe that's your context, you know. As you begin to look at the different, con say those different seasons, there was context for every season. You know, here we are entering into the winter season, you know, there's, there's a context for that. You have a wardrobe for that. If I say summer, you have a new mindset. Context changes as we deal with different seasons. And, and even changing a context can change the way something feels. And there was uh, years ago um, when I was, when the, my, the oldest kids were little and I was a younger man, I'd chase my kids around and we'd just do the normal, you know, play chase and, and chase the kids. And, um, if you sit anywhere near the front during worship, you will hear my noises, my whoo, my, yeah, my just my, my vocalization of excitement. It just comes out. And so I can't whistle. I can't do those types of things. I really can't sing very good. But when I'm ready to get loud, that's what comes out of my mouth. And then as I would chase my kids around the house or if we were in the backyard or any of that, then there was a certain noise, this certain little little uh, hollering thing that I would make as I would chase my kids. And then it was kind of like just adding to the intensity and they know they were just about to get caught and it was just part of it. So it just did that. It was just part of our, our home. Well, then um, years you know, after that had been established in just kind of the way I operated, um, we went and took our youth on a mission trip to the Navajo Nation, and so in uh, New Mexico. And so if you've never been um, onto a, into a, an Indian reservation or any of that kind of stuff, uh, it is truly like going on, and it's legally a different space. It's a different nation. It's a different area. And so you go there, and it really is. Um, very, very different. Uh, you we tra traveled dirt roads for miles and miles and miles. We went and saw just poverty, like we just didn't realize really existed in the U.S. Like people really making their houses just out of of anything they could find. There would be pallets and leftover pieces of plywood and tarps and and. And even carpet, like trying to somehow use carpet for roofing. And it, there were dirt floors, and it, it was just heartbreaking. And so we're just really in a completely different context. And so we're there in the Navajo Nation, and we're connecting. And we, we did a bunch of vacation Bible school stuff, and we're doing a bunch of stuff with the kids. And 
So the, the adults would be there in the village, and they were kind of on the edges watching as we would come in. But the kids would engage, and we would have a lot of fun with the kids. And we had this game that we played that was kind of a bit of an icebreaker game, just to kind of let everybody just have a little fun. And, and, um, and it was called Stampers. We just gave everybody literally a piece of copy paper, and they carried this little piece of copy paper, and then there were people stationed around that had stamps, and they would just take a stamp and stamp the paper, and then there were other people who had markers, and they would run around and, and just slice through, just mark through the stamp, and of course, the winner was whoever had the most stamps that didn't get marked out, and they'd have to run from station to station and, and do that, and then it was just chaos, so there's people trying to tag them and mark their stamps out, kids trying to get stamps, and it was awesome. It was wonderful. I uh, loved the chaos. And so I wanted to be one of the chasers. And so I wanted to have the marker and tag these kids and ruin their hopes and dreams and, and <laughs> mark out their little, their little stamps. And so um, that, that was my role. And so I got out there. I'm chasing these Navajo children around with their adult parents, you know, sitting there watching and then all of a sudden, that context immediately brought out my normal chase a kid around response. Um, but I didn't think about the context that I was actually in. So I'm chasing this little Navajo child around, and this is what comes out of my mouth. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of get that, don't you? It, uh, it's not culturally appropriate. It uh, seemed a little mockery. It seemed like I was making fun of their culture. Um, but that was, the, what, that was how I did with my kids. I, I would just, I would do that. And I was not making, you know, Native American noises. I was just chasing my children. And that was that's just, just, you know, you better hurry, you better. It's just an intense noise that would come out. And so as I am sitting there on the space and chasing these children, making this noise, it's thankfully there was so much chaos, nobody really paid attention. The Holy Spirit just really stopped me quick. And it's like, that doesn't sound right in this context. The Holy Spirit had never shut me up making that noise in San Angelo, Texas. But in the Navajo Nation, the Holy Spirit shut me up. And it's like, That's a, that doesn't work here. Don't do that. And so, and, but context, all of a sudden, something that was completely normal and you put it in a new context, it totally changed everything. And as we began to, to look at the nativity, um, we, by nature, read it through our context. We read it through our modern context. We read it through our very Western context. We read it with, you know, the reindeer and all that somewhere in the background and in our mind. And, you know, somehow they're in the major scene. Frosty's over in the corner, too. And, you know, somehow all these little things begin to kind of show up. And to really understand the nativity and Christmas really get it. We need to make sure we put ourselves into its context and not bring it into our context. So let's go ahead and look at 1 John 
chapter 4, verse 9. 1 John 4, 9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. This is it. This is the definition. This is how God showed his love. There's not another way. If you try to discount this way and say, no, there's another way God showed his love. No, it's not true. This is how. If you want to think about God's love, you want to investigate God's love, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. That is how God showed his love, that Jesus showed up. That divinity put on humanity and showed up into our world so that we could live. That is the context of God's love. We cannot remotely even think we can understand anything about God's love outside of looking at it through the lens of God expressing it through sending his son. That is the lens that we have to see it 100%. And then verse 10, it says, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This context even isn't put in there at all that we're loving or righteous at all. Our part in this context is that we're not righteous. We didn't do right. We're sinning and don't love God. And yet he intervenes. He shows up. He pursues. He moved first. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. And we have to always think of it through that lens from start to finish. If you are struggling in some place in your life, something that doesn't line up with God's goodness and his heart for you and those around you, we would call that sin. And it can show up in lots of different ways. But the way God deals with sin is through love. He will love it out of us. He will show us and reveal it. He will allow us to be motivated by love, to be changed by love. And we have to understand that. And so in all of our choices, and even the choice of the original nativity, it's all 100% the heart of God motivated by love. But as we've looked at this through this series, looked at choosing Christmas and some of the challenges of the choices, then we actually started, of course, the best place to start is with Mary. You know, She has to choose to be a willing participant in this. She has to choose that, and she did. She made the choice to be a willing participant in this absolutely amazing thing but had to say yes to the impossible. And sometimes the challenge to our choice is what is impossible. It's impossible. Sometimes we want to back off the choice because there's no reason to choose it because it's impossible. Reconciliation in that relationship is impossible. Being able to start the dream for my life, what God had for me, it's it's too late. I've missed my moment. It's impossible. Sometimes the thing that's the challenge to our choice are things that seem impossible. But with Mary, it was impossible. Outside of God, the virgin birth was impossible. We have to understand that even things that violate the principles of silence, we have to un- science the one who created all of the principles of science transcends science itself. 
and is able to do a miracle of his own making. And Mary says, be it unto me according to your word. Let me see Joseph and Joseph's challenge for his choice was just straight up fear. And he was a good dude. He was a good guy. He didn't want to, to treat Mary wrong. He didn't want to do wrong by her. He was trying to be as kind as possible, but was like, no, I can't do this. She's pregnant. She, all of a sudden, and then the angel talks to him. Then he has the, the dream about the angel. And he has to deal with his fear. And sometimes the challenge to our choice is, and we still choose make the choice and not be led by fear. And then last week we talked about Zechariah and Zechariah's challenge to his choice. His challenge was just, he got weary and waiting. He just got tired of waiting. It's just his life was marked by waiting and disappointment and disappointment. And maybe this time, maybe this year, maybe, maybe, maybe. And it just carried on and all of a sudden, the challenge to his choice was the timeline, the waiting. And we see that, yeah, that, that's difficult. We've all had those moments that just the timeline just wears us down, can make things difficult. But I think there's a sneakier spot that can come in and make us begin to really back off of making the choices we need to make, making the decisions we need to make. And that's in the place of honestly just feeling unseen. Just feeling unseen like, like we don't matter. We, all of a sudden you go, you know what? I might could make the choice if I thought it mattered. I thought I'd make a choice if it would make a difference. But my life just doesn't feel like it matters. I don't feel like I matter in this space, in this context so why even try? Why even try? And as we look at the story of the shepherds, man, we see that God sees what other people allow to stay unseen. God sees the unseen. He values. See, the first Christmas tells us that God's love is for everyone, even for those who feel unseen. Let's go ahead and look at Luke chapter 2, verse 6. And it says, While they were there, that's Mary and Joseph, were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the angel of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Great joy for all people. Now we can sit here and and all of a sudden we have, you know, this sweet little idea of, you know, the shepherds, you know. There have been plenty of you who've been draped with an old bed sheet and grabbed a stick and had to be a shepherd in a play at some point in your life. You know, your mama tied an old uh, pillowcase to your head and, uh, you know, and there you were. You were a shepherd and you were just a part of this sweet little nativity scene. But for us to understand the context, 
we got to understand that first um, that uh, shepherds have throughout the years um, been a looked down upon and a despised uh, people that that occupation. Um, we, we go all the way back um, to Israel becoming a nation, and, and they lived as a despised people, as shepherds. Um, they're in Egypt, and the Egyptians would not eat and want to be associated with shepherds whatsoever. They were a despised people. Even Joseph, when he became prime minister, when he was the head of the nation, the Egyptians wouldn't eat with him because he had grown up as a shepherd. They were just... just not, um, not embraced. They were just looked down upon big time. So even as Israel comes out and had spent all those years as a despised people, and then God expressed himself as being that he was the good shepherd. As, the, as this different imagery shows up in the prophetic writings of God being a good shepherd and God wanting to show himself as a shepherd, somehow just that esteem begins to slide. And then even as David who was a shepherd, ends up learning the heart of God as a young shepherd in a field, and he ends up becoming the greatest, most well-known king of Israel in the lineage of Jesus. There's a place where those things are still despised, and then after 400 years of prophetic silence and Israel just kind of doing their own thing, by the time Jesus' birth happens, shepherds are so despised in that space. The biblical historians uh, agree that shepherds weren't even allowed to act as witnesses in the courts because they were seen as unreliable. They were seen as unreliable. They couldn't even, they wouldn't even take their word in the court as a testimony. They're like, no, it's just, just a shepherd. No, that doesn't count. And so here we are. Here we are. We have this group of people who are doing something pivotal in the land of Israel. All of their worship ultimately culminates annually on a Passover lamb, a spotless lamb. Who's going to take care of them? The shepherds are going to take care of them. And so they value what they bring to the table, but not value them. Value their produce, but not value them. So many times, one of the pains of life is to just feel unseen or to be only seen. If if I bring something of value, that's the only thing, time I'm noticed. It wears you down. It begins to cut you to your core. All of a sudden, it begins to disconnect your reality and your identity from what you your productivity. And it dehumanizes you. And here we have these shepherds who are in this place of of being dehumanized. That they've got to do a job nobody wants to do. And and then they're actually at this season of time, they're out doing it in a rough period of time. They're actually having to be out at night with the flocks. Now there's a couple of different thoughts on why they're out at night one thought is that it was during lambing season, but we don't really know if that's exactly for sure because they, they would have to be out there to protect it. And so because the predators would want to come in and take the lambs when, when they were vulnerable. One thing we do know timeline-wise that we can kind of begin to pinpoint down just so that you know, so you're aware as a believer, as a child of God, 
um, that this context of the, the shepherds <clears throat> having their, their flocks in the fields, okay? Now, that, that word fields is, and they're right there near Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem was called the house of bread. It was very fertile. You know, they had a lot of farms and a lot of places, and they were raised a lot of barley and wheat, okay? And so these fields are, are referring to the fields where they raised the barley and the wheat. And you typically, you don't want the sheep out in the fields where you're raising your barley and your wheat because they're going to eat it. And you don't want that. But there was a time of the year that they wanted the sheep out in the fields. And that was after the harvest before the next planting and plowing. Because then all of what was left, all of the stalks, all the stuff was great for the sheep to begin to eat and begin to do. And then sheep made a contribution to the soil. They're eating and they're doing sheep stuff, okay, out in the field. Adding, adding, you know, some some nitrogen and, and some extra stuff out into the field to be able to keep the process going, okay? And uh, so it was, it was pivotal. But this happened after the harvest and before the planting and, and before the rainy season started. And this would happen in June to October-ish. That was the season when the, when the shepherds were allow, allowed to go and graze out in these fields. And so they're out in the fields between June and October, which lets us know that Jesus' birth was somewhere between June and October. So maybe Jesus' actual birth was June 10th. Maybe it was October 13th. That happens to be my wife's birthday and my birthday. And so, and so but it was somewhere in that range where it, when it wasn't, it was December 25th. Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. Jesus wasn't born in the month of December. Now, I don't have a beef with us celebrating Jesus' birth on December 25th. And there are some reasons that I don't have time in this message to get into on why in the fourth century, 400 years into the space of a, the early the, the believers began to celebrate around December 25th, the birth of Christ. And I don't have time to get into all that, but that decision was made much after the writings of the Gospels and, and the, the work of Paul. But I don't have a beef with us doing it on December 25th. And you want to know why? Because um, any day is a good day to celebrate the greatest gift ever given. That any day is a great day to celebrate that. We could celebrate it on July 1. We could celebrate it on, on June the 9th. We could celebrate it on Cinco de Mayo. We could celebrate it on any, any place. I mean, we, we could be having tacos in Jesus um, or, you know, or we could be barbecuing and celebrating the birth of Jesus. It could happen on we, any day is a good day to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And that's why I don't have a problem with us collectively celebrating Jesus on December 25th. We don't know the real day, so it was going to be a choice anyways. We only know a season. And so, and even though we've picked the wrong season, <laughs> guess what? December 25th is a great day to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But you, as a believer, you need to know that it's not his actual birthday. It's not the actual day. We don't know the actual day. And so, but it is a great day to celebrate it. So here we are. 
We've got these shepherds, these guys on the night shift, these guys who are just out there doing their best to take care of their families, doing the hard work nobody else wants to do, and, and being the people that, that society doesn't embrace. And that is where God starts with the news of what just came accomplished. He doesn't declare it to the palace. He doesn't declare it to the temple. He declared it to the night shift of the guys that couldn't even give their testimony in court. That is where God started. Those who were unseen, he saw. See, the truth is, is that the good news is for all the people. And that should push out all fear. That should begin to just make it all the concern and worries about connecting with God. The fact that he wanted to be to everybody and he started at the bottom of the, the perceived economic, socio-political pile. That he started there. It wasn't a trickle down, give it to the, to the people with the connections. No, give it to the least connected and watch the truth of it be the thing that powers it. It's not going to have to be powered by people's power. It's got enough truth in it that we could start it in the most unlikely place and it'll go around the world and it'll change lives. Why? Because it is the truth. It's the truth. Luke chapter 2 verse 10 says, The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that, is, that will cause great joy for all the people today. In the town of David, a Savior has been born. To you, he is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those whom his favor rests. Here you've got some guys that the sign to them is that they were going to find a baby in a manger. In a feed trough. Messiah was going to be in a feed trough. Now that's, that's weird. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. But you know what? That is the perfect place for a group of shepherds to go and check out the Messiah. You know, a group of outcasts. I guarantee they would not have felt comfortable walking into a nice inn. Hey, we got told about Messiah. Can we come in? And dealing with the side eye and the looks. Having to go to somebody's house and somebody's guest room and say, Hey, um, we kind of had an angelic visitation and we were told about a Messiah. And guess what? You weren't going to find a a feed trough in the middle of somebody's living room. You weren't going to find it in an inn. But you know where a group of shepherds are going to be very at home, have no problems peeking their head in? And that's a place where you find a manger. They were very familiar with mangers. They put lots of feed out. They put lots of hay out. They're taking care of lots of sheep. And they're like, that I know. That I know. And if there was a sign that God cared about me. He had seen me. And he's going to meet me right where I'm at. He's going to meet me right where I'm at. And sure enough, they showed up and they said, oh my goodness. Here's this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in this feed trough. 
one of the things that these shepherds carried with them. They carried with them these, these cloths to, to wrap a baby in. But they weren't holding it for a baby. They were holding it because every time a lamb was born, they would take a look and they would inspect. And they would see if this was a spotless lamb. Because they knew that all of the potential spotless lambs need to be presented to the temple. For the chief priest to look it over and check it over and see, is this the one that we're going to present at Passover time whose blood's going to atone for a year? And if they saw one that they thought might fit the bill, looked look spotless to them, they would take that out of their little shepherd's bag and they would wrap that little lamb up to make sure it didn't get hurt, it didn't get spotted, it didn't get soiled in any way. They'd keep that lamb close to them and then they would pass it off so it could be presented to the temple at the appropriate time. The imagery that they saw, those guys understood well before John the Baptist ever declared it. They saw that little child, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sin of the world. They saw there in that feed trough exactly the heart of God at work. And so with that, when we're presented something that powerful and that life-changing, well, we need to make the obvious choice. We need to choose to share the good news of Jesus. Getting into verse 15, it says, When the angels had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and to see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the manger. And when they had seen him, then they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. How amazing is it that the first people to go and testify to God's plan with the Messiah were, people, were some men who were not even allowed to testify in court at their time. God decided, guess what? The, the voices nobody wants are the voices I recruit first. Those who are completely unseen, I see and I call. Whenever we look at the place of the, of the early nativity, we put it in its right context, it lets us know none of us are left out. None of us are set on the sidelines. None of us are benched. None of us are, are there. All of us are called to carry the good news of what Christ has accomplished. That is what this season is about. Yeah, do the tinsel. Yeah, do the lights. Yeah, all of that kind of stuff. But let's bring Jesus right into the middle of it. It's a, that is what this space is about. Verse 18, and all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. They didn't discount it. They didn't say, scruffy old shepherds, quit talking to me. They were amazed. The power of the truth cut through. They were amazed. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had, they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. As we're wrapping up this morning, I think the shepherds carrying the gospel 
lets us know that we can all embrace Matthew 28, 18. It says, and then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That command, that call is for all of us. It's for all of us. If it was given to the shepherds, if the shepherds were mobilized, you're mobilized. If the shepherds were included, you're included. We all at this season get to carry the beauty of the gospel of Jesus forward. Our bottom line this morning is this, that a gift like Jesus is meant to be shared. It's meant to be shared. That's what this is all about. So in this moment, we want to create an opportunity to say yes to that gift. Say yes to what Christ has done for you, that God showed his love by sending his son so that you can have life. You can embrace that life right now. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram. 